Hey guys, welcome to CHS Downtown, the table. We're so glad you're here. We're just privileged to be here with you as we share a meal and get into the get into the Word of God together. My name's Tim. I think I know most of you, maybe all of you, and it's just really a privilege to have you. And Cole, thanks for coming to lead and worship with us. Love you. I'm so glad that you could be with us. Hey, a couple things before we jump into the, the scriptures tonight. Um, I want to remind you or let you know that Barb sends out an email every week to folks, or is it every week or every month? How often do you send out this email? Once a month, every month, an email out for like the month ahead volunteer needs. So when you get that from Barb, if you don't get that, we'd love you to get that. Um, and you could see Barb say, I'm not on your list. I'm not on the list for CHS downtown. You could speak to Barb right after. But when she sends it out and she needs to get uh, folks to help volunteer, um, we would love you to respond to that. There's a handful of you that just work tirelessly week after week. And so many that show up to help. Um, just sweet. Mary Beth just did all of our laundry to keep all the things clean. We kind of have a, have a dispersed work, but we'd really be grateful for you to respond to that so she can kind of get the volunteers to do the stuff that we need. That'd be great. And then second, want to remind you, so we have a couple things in August going on. Right now, tonight, you might know, in fact, I think probably a lot of our friends that would normally be here are at this other worship night that's going on downtown, kind of in that, whatever you call that little arena thing downtown. What is that called? El, yeah, what is it, Park. Elwood Park. So I think we have folks going in there. So August is a kind of a month to do wonky things. So if some folks are there, this this same time next week, we will not be here. Rather than coming here at 7, we really want you to come to our main campus at 5 o'clock. We're going to have our kickoff event as the year begins. So don't come down here next, next week. It'll be, it'll be locked. Um, but do join us at our main property, 6011 Merriman. Um, it's going to be our chance to kind of kick off the year and be with friends, be outside, and be happy. So we hope you'll be there for that. Um, and then... And what's that? And eat. There'll be lots of food. That we're gonna eat barbecue. It'll be a great time. Um, there's no like formal. It's just it's really a social. It's it's a ton of fun. So we want you to come and to be with us for that as we do that. All right, Barb. Any other news you wanted me to cover? Is that all the good stuff? Okay. Hey, can I invite you guys to stand for just a brief moment in honor of God's word? I'm gonna read this passage to you from the Gospels. This is the Gospel according to Matthew. It's chapter 25. I'm going to pick it up in verse 31. It'll have some bearing on where we want to go tonight. Hear this. This is the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. That's the gospel. You're welcome to have a seat. Now what we're doing tonight is we're going to continue our series that we picked up. We started two weeks ago on Christian happiness. Does anybody happen to recall, we've done this for the last couple of weeks, uh, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon years and years ago, and by years I mean like 300 years ago, um, arguing that Christians should be the happiest people on earth for three irrefutable reasons. Does anybody, do you guys remember what they are? What are the three three-point pillars of Christian joy? Our bad things turn out for good. Good things can never be taken away. And, and the best is yet to come. These things are inarguably true, right? Our bad things, our bad things, all things work together for the good of those who love God. It's really true, right? And our good things, are there's such a permanence to his love and his mercy and his grace and his kindness. 
It's never going to go, right? Jesus invites us to store up things that'll, where moth and rust can't destroy. And that's all great news. But tonight, I want to talk with you guys about this concept that the best is yet to come. Because it really is. The best is absolutely yet to come. So here's, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the future in a very, very compressed form. You ready? In this next year, some really horrible things are going to happen. And some astonishingly beautiful things are going to happen. The year after that, more, more glory, more beauty, more amazing, follow, uh, and interspersed with some really, really painful, shockingly terrible things. We're going to continue in this mingled nature of good and bad at both times, right? Good and bad at the same time, going on, both of them together, until Jesus comes back. That might be sometime this year. It might be before the end of the year. It might not be until you're all dead, your children's children's children. We don't know. But he's coming back, okay? After this mingled time of mixture of good and bad, what's going to happen is that Jesus is going to literally, actually, physically, genuinely come back to the earth. And when he does, he's going to raise everybody who's ever lived from the dead. Every living person from all the centuries will be raised from the dead to stand before him. That's what going, one of the things that's going on there in Matthew 25 in that passage you just read, or the passage right before it, actually, that he's going to raise all of humanity across the millennia. And when he does, he's going to separate humanity it says, like sheep from goats. Some, those who are his enemies, will be destroyed. Others who love him, he will grant to them the ability to live forever in a perfect world. He's going to give eternal life. Those that love him, those that have bent the knee to him, those that have come under his saving mercies will live for a hundred billion trillion millennia and then forever after that in a world of endless and increasing joy. And it's going to be absolutely bonkers when it happens. The Bible describes this. Sometimes there's like these subtle hints, these little like tantalizing moments. And sometimes it actually goes into great detail about what this is going to look like. And I don't know if you have any favorite passages about that. But one of my favorites is Isaiah 35, which is not, you may not even think, Isaiah 35, I don't even know what Isaiah 35 is. It's not one of those passages that we tend to look at a lot, which is weird because it's amazing. We should know what it says. But even if you don't, if Isaiah 35 isn't your go-to, there's plenty of places where the Bible paints this picture. I want to read to you Isaiah 35. Just listen to it first, and then we'll kind of unpack it a little bit as we consider what, when we say the best is yet to come, what does this mean, okay? Here's what it says. It says, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it'll burst into bloom. It'll rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. He continues, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees to give way. Say to those with feel for hearts, be strong. Do not fear, your God will come. And he will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then... Will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped? Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy? Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground, bubbling springs, and the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. Listen to this. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. And the unclean will not journey on it. It'll be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with, with singing. Listen to this part. Everlasting joy 
will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. I think that's a strong finish. It's going to be amazing. All of the sadness of these days, this mingled mixed story, all of the sadness will flee like, like being chased. And it says that joy and gladness will overtake you. That's like the image of being overtaken in my mind is like a, a wave or a tsunami, right? There'll be no escape from the joy and the happiness that will gobble you up, right? When this happens, you want to be there because it's gonna be absolutely extraordinary. I want you to notice there's so many, so many things here. This, is, this would be a passage, Isaiah 35, be worth reading and rereading and pondering and holding on to. Let's just make a couple quick observations of what it is, and then I'll give you guys a chance to discuss it over some bread and wine. Notice what's gonna be, first thing is it's gonna be transformation. It's gonna be a time where one thing changes into something else. Listen to the number of things that are transformed. transformed. Here's how he does it. He says, the desert and the parched land is glad. Wilderness rejoices and blossoms. What, what, what it's saying here is that the things that are dead and barren or ugly are going to become alive and beautiful. Okay, I grew up in Southern California. Have you guys been to Southern California? Who's been there? Actually been there instead of just seeing pictures. Okay, have you been there in the summertime? What is it in the summertime? It's just a desert. It is brown and dead. It's terrible and ugly, right? I mean, it's like the beach is nice, but everything else is brown. Uh, my, I, grew up, I grew up in Southern California. My sister lives there. We vacation there pretty frequently. And wherever we're there, I'm always just struck by how absolutely ugly it is, which is weird because Southern California is supposed to be, you know, blah, 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 everything's wonderful. But it's just dirt. It's just dead and ugly. And when I was just there about a month ago, I was talking to my sister Robin and saying, why is so, I mean, I know you guys get so much press, but you live in a desert. She's like, oh, but you just always come at the wrong time. Like, you should be here in the spring. You should be. She says, you should have been here in 2019 during the super bloom. I said, what is the super bloom? Have you heard about the super bloom? Do you know about this? Like these hills, the, the highways all cut through all these hills where it's just dirt and an occasional avocado tree. But in every once in a while, in 2019 was the last time it happened, they had what they call a super bloom, where all these California poppies just kind of spring to life. Okay? Here, look at this. Show us this. This thing that is Right now, it looks nothing like this. It explodes into a world of color. And Robin said it's, an, it's extraordinary, but it's a nightmare because everybody on the highway stops their cars. Like, they just stop, get out of the cars, and take pictures because it's so outrageous, right? I think there's another one of these, Andy. Like, more of this. Like, you could, if you just go do California Super Bloom, you'll find photograph after photograph of amazing color. This is what Isaiah is saying. This, this right here is simply a foretaste of this global transformation that is coming. Look what else is gonna change. He says that feeble hands, well, he, he wills feeble hands to become strong. And I think there's a promise that that is gonna to come to pass, that knees that give way will become steady, that fearful hearts become fearless, that the wicked will be put down. That's another transformation, right? The wicked will be, will be slain. He goes on and he says that blind eyes become seeing eyes, deaf ears become hearing ears, lame can jump, the mute can speak. All of that, all that body stuff, I just think that's simply whatever your maladies are, right? And, you know, you, some of you are like pre-malady and some of you are post-malady, right? What is it? Is it 50? Is it, is it, does things start breaking in your 40s, 50s, right? All of it that's breaking and dying, your vision and your ankle, you know, it's all going to be undone. Blind eyes will see. It's not just these four things, but all of, the, of your mechanism that breaks, it will all be renewed. Right? Those that were born with spina bifida 
will be able to walk. All the sadness, as Sam, Samwise says, all the sad things are going to come untrue. He says the sand will become a pool, the dry ground will become a spring. All, you guys, what's going to happen when Jesus comes back, raises the dead, and restores all things is all of the badness, all the things that you just don't like about living in this world, it's all going to be unmade. All the sadness, all the loneliness, all the brokenness, it's all gone. It's going to be transformed, okay? That's number one. Second thing, notice this. Notice what's not there. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's going to be omitted. Look at the last stanza here, verses 8 to 10. Isaiah says there's going to be no unclean people, no wicked fools, no vicious beasts. That first one should give you pause if you have any hope or expectation to be there yourself. One of the greatest things that God has accomplished is that he has devised a way that unclean people will actually be able to live in a place where unclean people cannot be. When you look at this thing that says no unclean people would be there, you should be worried because you're probably not clean. None of us are clean. But he has figured out a way to destroy sin without destroying sinners. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. I'm going to see it all happen. I'm going to live in it forever. But I am by no means a person who has lived a clean life. And the promise of the gospel is that God takes undeserving people who have soiled their hands, who have done all sorts of unruly things, and he's figured out a way to make it so that those very people whose lives have been marked by badness and brokenness will nevertheless inherit a place that only, where only the pure can dwell. It is incredible. And undeserving people will partake of it. You might partake of it if you really are in him, right? So there's no unclean people except us. It says no wicked fools, no vicious beasts. I think that just means that all of these things that are injurious and, and damaging and evil will be removed forever. And what will remain, all that's going to survive there, will be enjoyed by an undeserving people who have been invited by unfathomable grace into unimaginable glory. And you want to be there. Okay? Now, if you get, this, if you get your head around this, the reversals that happen, all the things that won't be there, then you might begin to get a sense of like, this is going to be good and I want to be there. But when you do that, you've only gotten, you've only gotten like one dimension of the glory because we haven't really talked about the duration of it. And you know, at some level, intellectually at least, you know that this is going to go on forever and ever and ever again. But it's really hard to make your, get your head wrapped around eternity. One day, um, not very long ago, Kelly was at the beach with her father, my wife Kelly. She was at the beach with her dad, and they were looking at the ocean with all of its vastness. You just look out, and it's just blue, you know, for as far as the eye can see, just endless sea. And he said to her, Kelly, do you know what's really cool about the ocean? She said, what, Dad? And he said, that's only the top. Think about that. When you've gotten your head around the enormity of the ocean. No, you haven't. You're looking at one millimeter deep. This thing goes down forever and ever and ever. And so it is. If you get your head around, if you could somehow grasp the, the majesty and the happiness and the splendor of the world to come, you have to then multiply that by forever. How do you do that? How do you get, you can't, you can't even get your head around that. So I want to give you just one single aspect of eternity to help you kind of think about what does it mean if this goodness is perpetual, goes on forever now, okay? Think about, think about it through the lens of your own competence, as great or as little as you might find that to be, okay? Are you aware of the idea, I'm sure you are, that you get better at things the longer that you do them? Have you noticed this about yourself? You start doing something with fumbling, you know, clumsy steps, then you get better and better and better at it. Malcolm Gladwell, do you know the, do you know the how many hours does it take to get to mastery of something? What's, his, what's the magic number? 
10,000 hours, okay? So the idea is, I don't know if he's right, but the idea is like, you know, you play violin for 10,000 hours, you're going to be pretty good at it. But it takes a long time to get there. So that's just great. But eventually you die, okay? Imagine how great would you be as a musician. You were probably great as a musician after like six or seven hours, right? But, but, but what if you had 10,000 hours, but not 10,000? You had 50,000 hours, but not 50,000. What if you had... What if you had 10 million hours practicing a skill? Can you imagine how good you would become at a thing? Or pick somebody that's already good, you know? Pick like Lin-Manuel Miranda, right? Let's say that his second play, his second musical, Hamilton, was outrageously good, okay? If he were in Christ and continued this skill that he has, what would his 15th musical be like? What would his, I don't know, 20,000th musical be like? be like can you imagine what it would be like to just develop a skill and how much fun it will be to be better and better at something over all of time think about this imagine if you wanted to be a gymnast okay and you're living in a world forever where you have no injury no possibility of death but you can just practice you could become you you give you give a thousand years to becoming a gymnast you would be better than Simone Biles. I mean, literally, actually, you would be incredible. And if we get tired of that, you decide you want to be a rock climber, you could be, I don't know if you know the rock climbing world at all. You guys know who the greatest rock climbers in the world are? Is this a world of yours? What is it? Alex Honnold is incredible. Oh, mountain goats. Okay, I'm thinking of the human realm. Tommy Caldwell is amazing. Adam Andre. If you look at these guys, you may never have heard of them, but they are some of the greatest athletes in the world. You could be better than they are. If you continue to do this thing. Or let's say you don't like that. Let's say you don't want to like do all these athletic things. Let's say what you love is scientific discovery. Do you understand that in the world to come, we're not just going to sit around doing nothing. We're going to be learning and discovering. It's going to be the world's largest Easter egg hunt. Because God has made 100 billion galaxies. And we're going to have all of time to explore them. Think about it like this. How much time, do you have any idea how much time has elapsed between Kitty Hawk and Apollo 11? What's the span of time from those two things? Do you know? Pretty close, 66 years. Kitty Hawk was 1903. In 1903, we flew the first powered, we had the first powered flight. It lasted 12 seconds, then went 120 feet. 66 years later, boom, we went a quarter of a million miles to the moon, okay? That's in 66 years. Massey, what the heck, what are we going to learn in 66,000 years? What are we going to learn in 10 million years? Can you imagine how completely insane it's going to be? The things that we will learn and discover and accomplish if we have all of time. And it, we're, it's not going to be, if you have some vision that the world to come is going to be like the 1800s and we're just going to like Amish forever. It's not true. It's not true. There's going to be learning and discovery and expertise forever and ever. And it's going to go on and on and on. And not only that, not only going to discover all these things that the creator made, but we're going to discover the creator himself because he is greater than his creation. He himself is infinite. And we will have all of time to explore him, to get to know him in a world marked by love and joy and happiness. And it's going to be absolutely amazing. And what happens, you guys, as we begin to ponder these things and start to imagine what would it be like is the anticipation of future happiness floods back into this moment of present pain to produce real joy because all of that happiness, all of it, is heading your way. If you are in Christ, you will live in a world of endless happiness where there's constant discovery, constant joy, constant um, uh, intimacy, 
And if you will anchor your life on this, this world that is coming, but that is certain to be yours, if you'll anchor your life on this, and you should because Jesus purchased it for you, then you can be happy in him forever, yes, but it actually becomes yours to savor now in the midst of some really yucky stuff. That vision, if you would obtain it, will allow you, help you, resource you to kind of release your grip on worldly things because so much more is coming. There will be plenty of time for you to do things that are outrageously happy. And that frees you up right now to spend your time, your money, your energy, your very self in service to others. There's time. There will be unimaginable happiness. But these days and the opportunity to love people and to serve people, to serve the lost and to bring them with us, these opportunities are fleeting and the door is closing soon. What you do in these days will matter forever. This vision of the world, it also enables us to cheerfully bear the suffering because there's some yucky stuff that is coming. There are evils in this world, but none of it can do us any real harm. This is the vision that, was un- that undergirds Paul's life. He-, he writes about it. You see it most clearly, I think. I mean, it shows up in various places, but you see it really clearly in uh, 2 Timothy, which is his last letter. And he says things like, he says, he says, that is why, this vision is why I am suffering as I am. He's like, I'm a herald, I'm an apostle. My job is to go proclaim the gospel to people and I'm gonna do that and I'm gonna help them receive it by faith and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. I'm gonna get everything back, it's gonna be fine so therefore I can spend my days like this. He says in another book, he says to live as Christ and to die as gain. He is convinced that this life, right now, these precious hours are all about obtaining the world to come and to help others obtain it as well because he can see it and it's real. And I think that the more that this vision grips us, which is to say the more accurately that we see the world, the more conscious we are of the happiness that that comes to us, the more that we will begin to long for that world that will spend our time and our energy on helping other people obtain it as well. And that as we do that, the great the bonus points is that as we get our eyes off our own momentary happiness and onto the eternal happiness of others, our, our momentary happiness actually increases as we are participating with God in the great work that he's doing for all of time. Because in Christ, your bad things do turn out for good. They will, but there are bad things. In Christ, your good things will never be taken away and they are abundant. And in Christ, the best is yet to come. What we want to do tonight over the table is you'll, you'll find in a, in a few minutes we'll get you the stuff. You just have a couple of short questions. That I, but I want you guys to, around your tables to have a chance to consider, like, do I ever think about this? Do, do I have an active vision? Am I aware of Isaiah 35 or Revelation 21 and 22? Are there other places that you kind of go to to meditate, to anchor your life on this? And if not, what would happen if you did? What would happen if when you were making your budget for the year, What would happen if you were allocating how you're going to spend your time? What would happen if this future happiness was shaping the present decisions that you make? What if, not just when you're making decisions about all the good things that you can spend at your pleasure, but what about when you get the the cancer diagnosis, when you are suffering deeply, how would it matter to you if that vision were rich and palpable, if you believed it was true, not some silly religious fairy tale, but it's actual it's actually going to happen. I'd love you guys to have a, have a chance to process that together at the table. And then we'll come back up, we'll pray, and we'll sing a song and go home. You ready?